0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from ACAST. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
2: Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita,
1: Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this, this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Veesh held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it, it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast, you yeah, sometimes. I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more and uh, more times than not though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, Go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So yay Vish, yay Creative Control.
2: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Nikki Mettler is a talented and inventive musician based in her hometown of Montreal, Quebec. Working as Key veal, Mettler is an explorer of music who blends prepared guitar, vocals, electronics, and other instruments for wholly unique songs and performances steeped in improvisation and structure that have earned her the respect of peers, critics, and loyal fans. Following up on the self-titled EP that BlackBow Records put out in 2018, Kia stunning debut album was released by Constellation Records on March 11, 2022. It's called Crease and has prompted Kia to hit the road, including tour stops in September of 2022 at the Festival de Musique Emergente, the Guelph Jazz Festival, and Pop Montreal, among others. Before heading off to Europe in October and November, Vicky and I connected recently to discuss her musical studies and current practice what it means to prepare an instrument or a voice, and why she was drawn to making such sounds, the kinds of spaces she tends to play in, her sonic and visual collaborators and their roles in her work, how and why she began to incorporate vocals into her music, and singers and lyricists who inspire her, the Guelph Jazz Festival, other future plans, and much more. Part of the Entertainment One Network, with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast, and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in kind support from Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode seven hundred and twelve of Creative Control, featuring the thoughtful and idiosyncratic Kia Veal with your host me, Vishkana.
0: just here.
2: Hi Vicky how you doing? Hey
3: I'm doing well Thank you how are you?
2: Oh I'm well thank you well I am well I should forewarn you uh, a couple neighbors down from me they're doing some sort of construction uh, okay. we've been hearing lots of uh, nail guns it's like roof stuff yeah. so if you if you hear shots in the background here like just like or any kind of clattering uh, don't worry. I'm okay. fine, but okay. I, it's been uh, it's it's what woke us up today. is just them doing something. So just wanted to fill you in on that. Otherwise, I'm well, thank you. Uh, where in the world are you today?
3: I'm in Montreal.
2: Ah, lovely. How how are things going in Montreal for you today? Good. What are your plans? You have plans? You have big plans today?
3: I don't have big plans. I have like I just have to do um, gathering footage from a bunch of people.
2: Well, that <laughs> so sounds transfers. That sounds suspicious. What do you mean, gathering <laughs> footage for a bunch of? What does that mean?
3: Oh, I just had people like take pictures of of some shows and videos and stuff, and I'm just trying to get it all together in one
2: place. Oh, oh, oh I see. Uh, of yourself, people gather footage of you. Of the shows, yeah. Oh, okay. Of the of your concerts. Exactly. Ah, what, what is the uh, end goal with all of this footage?
3: Ah, uh, I. There's no precise end goal. It's kind of. Um, it's kind of just to have it if people took it, you oh, know, okay. maybe, maybe doing some kind of promo things or uh, we played at, um, we played at the SAT, the dome, uh, a few weeks ago in Montreal. So that was kind of, uh, something I'd, I'd like to do again and kind of a particular event. So just trying to, you know, keep, keep archives or I don't know.
2: <laughs> I see. No, no, why. that's fine. Sorry, did you say you played a, a dome? I didn't catch what you said.
3: Yeah, it's like a dome. It's like the, um, it's the SAT, it's called. I mm-hmm. think there's one in Montreal. There's, a, there's a, a few across the world and they're like, um, like, like surrounds audio spaces. Oh, so there's okay. like a hundred, I think like 150 speakers, like in a dome shape.
2: Oh, yes. I've heard there's some sort play. of electroacoustic uh, thing happening.
3: Yeah, exactly. Usually it's a lot of visuals and stuff like that.
2: Right. So okay. Uh,
3: so yeah, it was... Yeah, I guess we just want to see what it looked like, what it sounded like. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just gathering the footage. <laughs> we'll safe. see. We'll find out what how happens.
2: Did it, how did it feel <laughs> to actually perform in the dome?
3: It was good. It was good. Okay. It was very a big challenge, but it was, it was fun.
2: What is your general live configuration? Is it just you?
3: Um, I used to play a lot of solo and now I'm playing often with a drummer. So electronic drums and um, acoustic, like he he plays like a snare, like a prepared snare. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just, yeah, just electronic drums, mostly with a bit of acoustic um, preparation. Okay. And then I play guitar, sing, and I have like a a, a few pedals.
2: Uh, Prepared snare is what? uh, You put a wallet on it? put something in the in the uh, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> it could be anything you know anything right um, okay just like to change the sound and then he passes it through electronics filters and you know granular pedals and just to kind of try to replicate the fi- the feel of the album without only using samples from the album
2: yeah yeah
3: so making it a bit more reactive and and so yeah it's a, uh, it's really great actually how he um brought all this music together and this is I'm talking about Sam Gugu Samuel Gugu is uh, the, the drummer that I play with
2: oh yeah I was going to ask that uh, do we do, what, what do we know uh, them from other projects or would we know them from other projects
3: yeah so he plays he has, a, he has his own project called TDA and um, he plays in a bunch of bands uh, like I think like, one of his main, main bands is Victim mm. and then he he plays drums with other people I see in a lot of projects, yeah.
2: I see. Now, you you have an interest in prepared sounds of all sorts. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Yeah, that's true. I do. I do do like to play the guitar that way.
2: Particularly guitar. Is guitar your first instrument? Yes. Right. So do you have a sense uh, of uh, where your interest in preparation? Uh, Not simply... Actually, you know what we should do here, Vicky, because there might be people who don't really understand what to to prepare an instrument what it might mean Uh, i alluded to the fact that with the snare drum you know you can put a wallet on it or you can put something in the actual snare which is underneath the drum if you will uh Mm -hmm. you know you can do all sorts of things to manipulate the sound that is in essence what preparation means i think but can you just for people listening who may not know can you explain what what it means to prepare an instrument a guitar or anything else uh do you mind doing that
3: Ah uh, yeah, I guess for me, I guess it would mean that I I take objects like any objects that you can use to either play the instrument or um put it on the instrument to change the sound, so you could like put a you know like a chopstick on in the guitar strings or like a a, a thread or really anything that you know you, you think could be interesting. Like I play a lot with like a screw or you know, just yeah, using an object to play an instrument in like a non-traditional way.
2: You say you play a screw. Uh, this is you dropping screws into vessels and things, and 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 capturing the sound. Is that right?
3: Uh no. Well, I I did do that a while ago, but usually for the guitar, I would just play the screw uh, on the string, oh. so I, like as a pick almost.
2: That, is that do the string like, do the strings like that? Do the strings ever look <laughs> up to you and say? Hey, can't you just use a pick like everyone else? This hurts. <laughs> Ow! Why, why play the guitar with a screw?
3: I guess. Um, I guess I'm also really bad at changing my strings, so they're they have long lives. Oh, okay. Of pain. Yeah, really painful lives.
2: I'm uh, very bad at that too. I'm not a guitar person, but I have guitars, and i I will confess to you that I have self consciousness about whether i'm changing strings properly if i know what i'm doing uh some of every guitar is different as well like in terms of how to change the string and all that stuff so i so yes subsequently many of my guitars that i play every day uh have very old strings on them i'm actually the same way with some of my drum heads now that i think about it my two tom heads definitely need to be changed what do, is that am I are you I just want to clarify once again or at least uh, reestablish that you and I sound similar in that regard are we lazy why don't we like to change and update our instruments change strings change drum heads what what's wrong with us Vicky what is wrong with you and me <laughs>
3: There's uh, maybe a maybe many things, too many to get into. <laughs>
2: okay, let's narrow it. Let's just focus in on the lack of desire to change things if they sound relatively okay. Like, what are you supposed to change? If we were guitar nerds, uh, I'm sure they're like, Oh, I change my strings every day. What? No, you don't. Come on. How often are you supposed to change strings? Do you know?
3: I don't, I don't know like the technical. Um, I guess I would change them if I see that they're just, they stop being like, um, they just become flat, almost like flat wounds a little bit, mm-hmm. or like, you know, you lose the ridges. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes a while.
2: Yeah. It does. And um, I tune them and they tune and they stay in tune. So I'm like, why would I bother yeah, exactly. changing these strings? But like I say, I think smarter, uh, maybe more intelligent, and uh, I'm more intelligent, whatever. <laughs> Just more uh, people who know their instruments better, uh, I guess, Mm -hmm. would be more adamant about. And I also think like you change things when you're uh, for drums. Anyway, I learned through experience like, oh, you should really change them maybe before you go into the studio uh, for a session. That's when you kind of, you know, live. It doesn't you can go through a tour and it's probably fine. But uh, in the studio, you want to change. Is that does that resonate with you?
3: I guess it depends how you want it to sound. I'm I'm not. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. Because then maybe they'll be more out of tune, and then you'll be recording, and it's you know they're losing their tuning. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have a a rule
2: on on it. Is it trusting your? How about this? Is it? It's a musical instrument. It creates sound. So do you trust your ears more than your eyes? Because I'll look at my drum heads and think, man, they're really worn out. But to your point, when I'm playing, they sound pretty good. So, and I've talked to. More experienced drummers than me over the years. Like, I remember talking to my friend, uh, Dave Clark, who, uh, people might know. He plays in Rio Statics and some other bands. And I said, How do you know? I don't know what to, I, people are like, Tune the drums. Like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm listening for. And he explained it to me. I mean, there's obvious things like ringing and you know, the guitar string goes out of tune. But he told me, mm-hmm. he simply, uh, he told me sometimes he tunes his drums with a guitar tuner. If he likes the way, a drum sounds he'll put a tuner to it and if it says it's uh in uh, you know it's it's a d he'll 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 write on a marker on the drum head d oh, nice. and then the next time he's got to change his head he'll try to find that uh i guess that that note uh which I found interesting uh that's yeah that's cool is that good I don't know see I don't Dave's smart. And he knows drums, so I trusted him, and I trust him. But I'm sorry, this was not meant to be a music lesson for me. I apologize. I just was curious about your your approach. Um, and in some ways, when you get into prepared uh, instruments, the tuning or the the precision of the notes is not something you're striving for exactly. Is that right? You're changing. You're trying to alter the normal conventional. Tom, t- you know, timbre and sound, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes, yeah, so it's definitely less strict on that.
2: So in a way, using very I mean, very side. old strings in itself could be a form of preparation, if you will.
3: Yeah, I guess so. It's All right. a different sound. Yeah,
2: see? So Okay, we got to something. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry I cut you off. Did you really explain the your your view of preparation or do we get to it? I feel like we did. I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Now, what we did, I don't know if we established this. What drew your ear to preparation and, and these kinds of like, uh, you know, unconventional uh, approaches to playing music? Do you remember this?
3: I guess I, I've always been drawn to like a, a rhythmic approach as opposed to like a harmonic or melodic appro- approach in a way. Hmm. So I think preparation for me was a bit like, you know, I always like imagine like maybe like percussions or like the rhythm is kind of what creates the the f- familiarity, or I don't know, I don't know exactly what, but it like uh, something that repeats, or like uh, and then the the preparation acts as the the kind of you know the harmony or like the um, some some form of melody. So I guess I guess for me that's why it was interesting. It's like how can I focus on rhythm and still have something that, um, it's not like chords or anything like that, but it's still, you can still create a, a form
2: hmm. with do it. You know, do you know where your interest in rhythm sort of comes from? Do you have any recollection of where you, I mean, did you want to be a drummer in any way or, or was it simply that you uh, as a guitar not player really. wanted to play more rhythmically?
3: Yeah, I think it was just what came more naturally to hmm. me. Like the just harmony on guitar and stuff like that is just, I just always found it like you have to think. I found I always had to think. And maybe so it maybe it was less natural for me that kind mm-hmm. of intellectual kind of more like I, I'm sure if you do it enough, you don't have to think anymore. But I never got to <laughs> that point.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, there's uh, not to be too hokey about it, but you know, we are, as humans, we are a rhythmic based. Uh, organism. I mean, literally, we have a heartbeat and that can dictate, uh, our day. Uh, the rhythm. Yeah. Sorry, I sound like I'm writing a song by Bette Midler by saying things like the rhythm of our heart. Uh, <laughs> or maybe that's a different, I feel like that is a song. Isn't that a song? The rhythm of our heart Probably. is beating like a drum. I can't remember who's, maybe that's Rod Stewart or maybe I'm making that, maybe I just wrote a great song. Anyway, we are kind of rhythmic people. I I was drawn to the drums and and beats uh, first as a, a a kid interested in music, as a player, I should say. Uh, do you remember when you first uh, uh, got into music? Uh, maybe as a child, uh, what were you, what you were exposed to, and by whom, and and why it spoke to you? Do you have any sense memory of that?
3: Um, I I don't, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of music. In, in my as a child but I I remember actually I guess it, for me it was a bit late. I went to school like CJEP for music mm-hmm. and then I really started getting into it actually after I left school and I guess through improvised music was really when I found like something that I I really enjoyed more and you know people started a good friend of mine started introducing me to, to music then. And that's kind of how I, that's how, like as far back as I go usually Um for when I, when I really felt like I was, you know, attached to it and wanting to just play more and stuff like that. I wasn't really playing that much before it was kind of, yeah, I just really late.
2: <laughs> Were you listening to a lot of music?
3: I'm not exactly sure why I did music. Like I'm not like, you know, oh. I, I wasn't really ever, um, I kind of fell into it, I would say. You've, you know, some people they, they play it from a young age and everything and yeah. I don't I don't really come from a musical family and I don't um I just it's always something I wanted to do but yeah, it took you, it took a while to actually
2: do it. It's always something you wanted to do, but you don't know why. Yeah, exactly. That's a little weird. No it's offense. A weird. <laughs> I didn't mean to insult you. That was insulting. I didn't I'm not saying you're weird, no, but no, that's no, no. A, that's like, I, you know, for some of us, like I've told this story many times, I think on the show in various ways, but you know, I remember my cousin, uh, cousins, but mostly my one cousin, and got me into music and then I was just hooked. I thought he was cool as a cousin. And then when I saw all his tapes, I was like, I want to be like that. It's, I can see my son does this with me a little bit, although he doesn't, I don't think they think I'm cool. Well, maybe they do think I'm cool. I'm being maybe immodest, but you look up to people. And when they're into something, you th- and a, you, if you like them and think they're interesting people, you try to get interested in what they're interested in. And then if, and then you kind of pick and choose in life. Like you didn't have some a figure like that in your life. You're saying you didn't come from a musical family, uh, but you, did you have a key figure in your life at a, a young age who who nope. made you think that music? No one. You're. No. Were you born in a pod? on an island <laughs> by yourself I don't understand that's fascinating you don't have any sense of memory. let me ask you this you fell into it what did you go to uh, music school for what did you study there guitar I'm guessing right
3: yeah exactly
2: guitar okay and, um, and what and how long were you in that school
3: I was there for three or four years
2: and what age did you graduate if you will Um I was 20 early 20s 22 I think oh oh I see Oh my gosh. Okay. So you, that's, that's not, you were not a child. You were an adult. No,
3: I was not. I was, yeah, I was, I was definitely, that's why it's like in that and that. And even then I was in school and school is this weird place, but I was, I did make friends with people who, you know, I learned a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I left school, that's when I I really started kind of, you know, just playing a lot of improvised music with a, I met, I met a friend and we, we were still really good friends and and then we just started playing together all the time and like he know he's like an encyclopedia of music. So he just constantly was was feeding me music and things to listen to and then we're just playing so much and that's kind of how um, it happened and really with improvised music because I, I studied jazz but I, I was never good at jazz. I was never like I, I wouldn't really practice it that much and I wasn't it, I don't think it was really for me, even though I like jazz. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, but I just I couldn't have that that kind of like discipline to learn this style like I, and then I realized like that's why improvised music is so great for me because then I could I didn't have to be you know stuck in one thing as school often teaches you is is um, very narrow sometimes.
2: So sorry, the schooling uh, curriculum was about more about jazz. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay, now you didn't name jazz. this uh, figure. Uh, who sounds a lot like my cousin Anand? For me, was mm-hmm. it my cousin Anand? Who who was this person <laughs> he that helped you?
3: Uh, his name is Rafwazi. He's a bass player. Also started playing trumpet recently.
2: Oh, but, uh, okay, yeah. So this is an interesting thing uh, I encounter a lot with uh, guests on my show who play music. Uh, they wind up in some sort of schooling or training, whether it's uh, piano lessons as a seven-year-old or like yourself, going to a music school later in life, uh, they end up learning some things, but they also end up resisting and and uh, rejecting a lot of things. But all of that informs their current uh, and ongoing practice, if you will. Like you learn as much what, not, what you don't want to do as you do what you do want to do. It sounds like that's the case for you. Like as much as you didn't want to immerse yourself in jazz playing Improvisation is definitely not even a distant, but a very close cousin of jazz. Improvisation, as I understand it, I think as we conventionally understand it. So is it safe to say that your jazz schooling, uh, whether you meant to or not, it, it had some bearing on your approach to improvising? Is that a fair way of putting it?
3: I think I would say that like what I learned in terms of like very basic rhythm and harmony but even there i don't i don't see it that way i don't think anything that i do is related to jazz really Mm. as much as it's related to rock or to any other style of music i I don't i don't feel that from that i don't feel like that's what i got from schooling like it was more more like a way of listening or not or Mm. just an attention to to sound or rhythm you know just playing yeah just just learning how to play you know anything really just like the the basic of music like reading music a little bit like kind of like stuff like that
2: you you feel you feel free of genre on some level
3: yeah yeah yeah,
2: totally are you yourself a pop music fan in any way Uh, pop meaning not necessarily what's currently on the charts but just like you know Structurally, mm. st- repetitious structure, if you will, which can ha- occur in improvisation, of course, as well. Uh, some sort of anchor or figure. But, are you a pop music fan at all?
3: Yeah, yeah, I do. I there's, I, I listen to all kinds of music.
2: Yeah, really. I bring yeah. it up because uh, I was playing your brilliant record here, Crease, in the in the car in the last couple of days, and I it's been some months since it was released, and I had it on in the house. Uh, and I put it back on over the last couple of days. And my son chimed in, oh, this is the, this is the person who sounds like Billie Eilish. And I was like, what? Huh, huh. that's interesting. I had a conversation with someone else about uh, a fig- uh, people like Billie Eilish and Lord recently. And they were quite, oh, I think it was Joan Shelley. She's a folk artist from America. And she was just talking about how it seemed like the whole culture had shifted to this rhythm, sort of, uh, let's call it prepared rhythm. Um, uh, where that's all you heard after a while was just sort of prepared drums, uh, prepared rhythms. Mm. And my son picked up on that on your record. He picked up on the rhythm. Um, so I, all this to say, I think your, uh, attention to rhythm is, is, Evident even to a, a soon-to-be eleven-year-old, um, mm-hmm. and and I think that's fascinating. Do you start with rhythm in this context uh, as Kiavil or, or how do you begin composing?
3: Um, not not necessarily. The, it depends on on the song, and you know, sometimes it's lyrics, sometimes it's uh, just a guitar line, and. I think there, there, the the rhythm almost was you know figured out as we went along. Like I I worked with Zach Sculls on the album. Like he, we produced it together. So I would like write the song, bring it as far as I can, and then we would work on it together. So a lot of the a lot of the process was learning how to do that, like working together and how how the song could be transformed. With uh, a lot, a lot of the rhythms, a lot of the beats were done like with synths and um some a lot of it was west through like a maximus B patch that we I think Zach like found it and then changed it uh, so it was a lot of like generated rhythms that we edited so a lot of editing and often that would take place almost at the end right of the song because you're adding it with all the rest but not necessarily like some some songs are not, were not made like that but but um, some of them were hmm. so yeah we definitely worked on the on the beats t- together a lot.
2: It's very hypnotic, if I might say. It's very alluring. Whatever you guys are doing, it's it sounds great and uh, it strikes me. so that's that's and, sorry, who is Zach exactly?
3: Uh, Zach is uh, it's uh, the person that I was working with for uh, yeah, for the album. He's also a musician and he recorded also the album.
2: Oh, okay, okay. And this is all in Montreal. Are you from Montreal?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm from Montreal. Yeah, I was born in the North
2: Shore. Okay, cool. So you've been there the whole time. Never wanted to leave. You like? You enjoy Montreal?
3: Um, yeah, I do enjoy <laughs> Montreal. I do. I do leave a lot, but <laughs> I love coming back here. Let's say that.
2: Oh, do you spend a lot of time on the road?
3: Um, it's we're starting to tour again, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I've traveled a, a few a lot like I, I did tour a lot before the pandemic and stuff like that
2: so you're a relatively new artist and for me uh, I, I first heard of you via your Constellation Records release how long have you actually been performing as Kia Ville?
3: Um, I think since 2017 like about five years
2: I see okay and and in that time you've you've crossed the globe
3: I did uh, yeah I did a bunch especially during the last years because I, I put out the NEP in 2018 mm-hmm so then I spent a lot of 2018, 2019 touring, a lot of tours in the States. And I I did like one tour in Europe. So I wasn't touring Europe that much. And then the mm. pandemic <laughs> happened. And then mm. um, now we're going back to Europe a lot more. So were hopefully you, the you, States again. But
2: Were you on the road during the pandemic? Like, Or sorry, at the advent of the pandemic, did you... Uh, there's a few artists I've spoken to who had to like hightail at home from Europe as the pandemic struck were you on the road at the time
3: no i was i was here i was actually finishing the album
2: i see okay oh so your most of your pandemic time was spent just finalizing this record
3: actually we we were mixing the album as the pandemic was starting in march oh okay so so we were we were were done we were just mixing it and then we finished mixing it right as you know we went into lockdown
2: what is it like to, uh, and, and then you subsequently have obviously released the, the record uh, during a, a period of, of, of some measure of stillness or uncertainty. What has that been like for you as a, a relatively young artist uh, who's trying to establish yourself? Uh, what has it been like to to try to do so in a period where people feel so unsteady and everything's uncertain and things are being canceled left and right I can imagine what this must be like for you, but can you articulate that? Uh, how has it been? I
3: guess there is there is always uncertainty, but I guess you start to to expect it or to, you know, you plan things. Like, I always plan things anyways. Um, and then I, you know, if it gets canceled, then it gets canceled. And if something happens, you know, you just kind of live with the flow. It It has been harder because of the pandemic, because of for booking shows, especially. Yeah. Just because of the, it created such a backlog of touring musicians, and that we're still catching up on that. And there's less venues. You know, we lost a lot of venues. Yeah. Um, not, many many things happened that it's not the same world as before. I think, uh, even for DIY touring and stuff like that, I I don't imagine it's it's easy. And so yeah, you know, you you learn to to live with that. And at the same time, like I was always doing, like. Uh, very DIY touring beforehand. So it was never, nothing was really certain, anyways.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: In a way. So you kind of, you know, it's just now it's, it's, it's worse. It's, yeah. But I guess that's kind of like what, what being a musician is in a way. Just,
2: yeah. It seems to me that the music you're making would probably be more, you mentioned DIY touring, but in my mind, um, that can mean playing rooms where listening to the artist is actually the point. It's not a bar uh, where the music is, is part of the reason you're there, but it's just sort of understood that you're going to talk to your friends and go get drinks. Is it fair to say that you would more likely play, let's call them listening rooms, alternate spaces, as opposed to conventional rock bars? I'm sure you've done your share of both, but uh, do you do one more than the other?
3: I mean, I think it depends on... Where, like, Uh I think, like, when I was touring the states, it was a lot of, you know, houses or you know, some bars, but the spaces were so uh, different, and sometimes you know the sound is not good, so it's like, yeah, it's a listening context, but what are you listening to? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very like, um, and sometimes you know you play a rock club and the the venue has a great sound system, and so it just sounds better. Yeah, of course. Um, So I think it's the audience who creates the who creates that and at the same time I do I don't know if I prefer playing listening rooms as opposed to non-listening rooms I think they're both they both have their fun aspects yeah like it's good to play for people who you know might not know this kind of music or you know they didn't necessarily come to see a show but then maybe maybe they did like it
2: G- given maybe that they hated it yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, well Given that you have a record uh, now with songs and you've been writing songs, uh, does a room dictate how a song might unfold for you? Is there still improvisation uh, in these pieces when you're going when you're playing live?
3: Um, there is some improvisation, but um, it's very structured. Okay. So the improvised moments are structured within within the the pieces. We we have started over the past tour to do uh, we kind of really worked on the set as a set mm-hmm. so like creating transitions and like and I th- I feel like that's the first step to actually open up these songs live it's just like yeah it was a lot to learn this how to play this music live we had no idea how to do it I see so I think at this point we, we can actually do it we can do it well mm. and so we've created the transition so now it's a, this, the set f- flows much nicer and it opens up between songs spaces to improvise mm. A leading into the next song and then at some point hopefully yeah we can open up the structure and improvise
2: so the audience's behavior is not going to dictate how let's say aggressively you attack a song necessarily it's just whatever it sounds to me like it no it could yeah. it, it could okay if someone's bothering yeah, you I'm... you're gonna you're gonna go after them you know what i'm saying yeah. you're just like uh no and that, that sounded mean but you know what i mean like you let's say you're in a room and everyone's talking would you you could potentially, like, let's amp it up. Let's get, let's, let's, if they're going to talk, let's go, let's go at them. Do you have that spirit in you at all?
3: Yeah, you can control a bit um, how, you know, control the space. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I don't know if I, I feel like that's like not, I don't really see that as improvisation in a way because it's just, it's kind of a reaction, you know? Yeah. Like you, you could be playing like a composition and still do that. So I think, yeah, that, that definitely... We can we can definitely do that and also i i turn now with zach who worked on the album and who is d- doing sound live and so definitely he can also he knows the music so well so he really plays with how it sounds in the room which is great to have that yeah. to have, that he can do that so so we're definitely a, a team like i see it as a, as a band we're like a three-piece
2: oh okay so zach's on the road with you Okay. Now, you are also a vocalist and a songwriter. Uh, Tell me about your approach to singing in this configuration. It is in itself very unique. Uh, It is in itself prepared, if you will. Um, Tell me about your vocal approach here and and potentially also, uh, you know, how you view, uh, you know, lyricism and songwriting as playing a role uh, in uh, in this project. Can you talk about that?
3: Mm-hmm. actually I started singing basically in 2018 so for me it was really late that I, I started uh, when I started write, wanting to write songs that's when I started singing and so I'm still discovering how to sing in a way and so the process of singing on the album was long it was very a very long process mm-hmm. uh, basically we recorded all the vocals at the very end when all the songs were finished we went back and redid almost all the vocals, so so that just because they were so different one from the other, and working with Zach, he really pushed me to to do things to like like just say he was he was a really good extra ear to like um, try try things, you know. Uh, mm. Since I'm not experienced vocally, and maybe that's it, it's a big part of the sound because the vocals are very quiet, but just my like recorded very loud and mixed very loud. Um, so it's definitely and there a lot of layers like vocal layers in the album, yeah. yeah, and that's you know that's partly because i i i'm I can't really sing loud, like even live like i'm I'm working on it and it's like it's technical, but also it's it's a nice like intimate space that i think it fit really well with the albums, but it was a process of discovery hmm. over about three years, and live, yeah like live it's a Sometimes is a nightmare. <laughs> but somehow we somehow Zach makes it work because it's just I, like feedback. And
2: yeah. I imagine having Zach there for your approach to singing uh, is is essential. If a sound it can be yeah. a sound person who doesn't know your style may not know how to mix it. Uh, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So you say you started singing in 2018. After not singing and not really feeling like you could sing, do you know what compelled you to actually start vocalizing?
3: I think it's just wanting. I just wanted to. I I got like really into Jenny Haval, and I was hmm. I wanted to write it like she was like I was like I have to write a song. Like my band had broken up. I had like an but an, an instrumental band, mm-hmm. an improv band, and then we just it fell apart. And I was I just wanted to do something on my own, and I wanted to try writing a song, and so I I figured I. I should sing. Hmm. <laughs> it would make the song more song-like. So.
2: Do you have then, song songwriting? You mentioned Jenny Haval as a singer, I think, uh, and, and potentially as a songwriter. Do you have songwriting influences? I mean, literally like people who use words uh, in, a, in a particular way, whether they're prose, writers, poets, journalists, or you know songwriters do you do you have people you look up to or admire i really
3: like um uh juana molina is what, was mm-hmm. a big influence on on this songwriting uh, fiona, fiona apple p j harvey always yeah i am always uh, kind of discover i was i was really also into like this heat like the deceit album mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a big uh, big songwriting um but more like the feel the the vibe and stuff like that. Who else, yeah, just just uh, those are those are some of the people that I, I I really went went into
2: their work, right. So in re-recording your vocals for crease, as you mentioned, you did, which I assume you did primarily because you felt like you could do it differently and potentially in your own view better than you had before. Is that what you were kind of intimating? Yeah, exactly. Just you didn't feel like it was up to snuff and you wanted to give it another shot, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I think it was kind of, that's also, you know, the, the way we wrote the album, like it's, it's, it was one song after the other. So by the time we finished the first song and we got to the last song, it had been probably two years. Mm. And so we were not working on multiple songs at once. We really worked on one at a time. Mm. And so re-recording the vocals brought them together aesthetically.
2: Yeah, and I, f- I think, yeah, I agree. And I feel like your vocal is like a, a lot of artists these days. Uh, it, well, I mean, I think vocals are always a texture, obviously, in a song. They're not simply the voice, like, it, depending on how it's recorded, what's done to it, the voice can be an instrument, uh, just like another instrument, if you will. I feel like your voice is employed that way, a lot of, in a lot of ways on this record. But I'm also curious about, if you, if you have an overarching sense of where the, what the songs are sort of uh, capturing for you at this moment in time. Uh, if I look at the song titles, they're a little enigmatic. I don't know necessarily how they relate to what you're saying, but I'm also so captivated by the sound of your voice that I'm not uh, always homing in on the words, if you will, but I know you spend time on them. Uh, just in that regard, do you think you're giving equal weight to how you're saying things uh, and, and, and what you're saying? Uh, or do you feel like you're putting a, some sort of uh, priority over like how what I'm saying fits with everything else going on sonically? Or, or is it just as important to you to convey uh, the meaning? Sorry, I mean, maybe this answer is obvious, but I'm just trying to... You're a very unique artist in this regard, I think. Everything is a bit off kilter, <laughs> and but I think very, yeah. very thoughtfully rendered, like the sound of your voice meshes very well with the sound of the instrumentation. But sorry, can you speak mm-hmm. to what I'm getting at in terms of what you're trying to convey and also how you're putting your voice across?
3: Yeah, so I guess, I guess it's a, you know, it's like the meaning of, of the songs and stuff like the words are, are definitely chosen, um, sometimes it's, sometimes they're also improvised, but they're put together in a way that makes sense, but also remains abstract. And I think I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like there's, I feel like the words, they could mean something if you, if you were to read them, but it's not really, I don't think that that is really the point. It's, they're very like, uh, image, imagery based mm-hmm. often, or like trying to describe like a, a very simple emotion, but like in a way that's more, you know, like uh, creates imagery, really. And sometimes it's it's just based on rhythm. So I even like I write out the rhythm of that the melody should be and then I f- try to find words. And then by doing that, you know, I go through like I always have books of words and phrases. Mm-hmm. And so I just go through that and I, I find, okay, well, this phrase maybe could work. So it's, it's kind of like putting together a puzzle mm-hmm. for some of the songs. Some of the other songs are just like you know they come together really easily and some of the songs have like three words yeah so it's like it's very um it's very, it depends a lot but i'm not um if i am trying to convey a message i'm not i'm not i'm going to let that up to the listener to figure out their own message yeah you know fair fair enough cuz things change too like when yeah. you write a song 3 years ago it doesn't mean the same thing now that when i sing it it's it's not it, the, the meaning of a song doesn't stay the same even for Absolute, me as no. the person who wrote it so.
2: absolutely yeah this and and the yeah the context of someone's listening experience can change uh, This is why mm. we often think that a song or an album is prescient but it's really that you know I don't know it just depends on how, when you listen to it It, it just might mean something yeah. totally different So I appreciate that for you yourself though, having released this work into the world and having to process that it's out there. Uh, do you pick up on threads that surprise you about yourself? Like things you ended up, ca- like I appreciate the abstract, abstracted nature of your writing, but do you pick up on things that you think, huh? Hmm. What do I didn't realize? I don't even think of what I was saying. And now it's, uh, I, I made, I've scared myself or <laughs> I've taught myself something about myself. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it, Honestly,
3: like I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like for me, like if I listen back to the music, like I have no idea how it, how it came together. And I'm, I always have this, this feeling like I'll never write another song. Yeah. You know? Right. Oh, <laughs> like this is like, this is it. Like how did this come together? It's like, I have, I don't know. And it's like, can I, can I do this again? Um, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Okay. So huh. it it is, it does surprise me. Um, I do, I do get so like, just like so, because you see, you you do see it differently with time. Like, um, you start seeing it as a listener, I think, more and more. Yeah, for me.
2: Yeah, even yourself, you you can you almost listen to this objectively.
3: Um. Yeah, I I think with time it, it it could get there, you know. Yeah. Because I just forget.
2: It is kind of odd as a songwriter. You're kind of doing public journal keeping. Yeah. And then you look back on it five years, 10 years later, and you're like, what was I even talking about? Like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't even know. Is that, that's kind of where your mind's at?
3: Yeah, for, for a lot of it. And yeah. some of it, you know, of course, some of it, you, you, you remember more moments, but it's like generally, it's, it's more like, um, especially for something like that was recorded over such a long period of time. I don't really remember how, what the order was of the songs, like, like how they, like, which one, which, how they came together. Yeah, but um, I I think for the next record I'd like to try to write faster. I think that's faster. Oh. yeah, just not do it the same way.
2: Um, why? The why, process. F- why faster?
3: Um, just to see what can be captured in like one instant, you know, like, oh, okay. in, like a yeah. shorter period of time instead of like over a period of years. It's like how I think it could create like a different, um, something different.
2: Something well, different. I mean, that's ideally that is going to be your trajectory, right? Always doing a different thing <laughs> than the previous one. Um, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. Yeah. In terms of your visual aesthetic, the album cover itself is very alluring. The videos that accompany some of these songs are very visually compelling. Uh, what is, is that all you're doing? Is your, do you have a background in visual art as well?
3: I don't have a background in visual art, but I, I work with some amazing people. Like the the videos uh, were done. Yeah, it's just like I have like ideas and then I work with people to make them happen.
2: I see. Okay, really so it's, you, it's these are all fun. collaborative. You, you seem to really, yeah, totally. as much as you are your own artist, you seem to collaborate. You, you, uh, you've you spent a lot of time here shouting out your collaborators. Collaboration is important to you, yes?
3: It is important to me and I... I I don't collaborate that much uh, with music. Hmm. Like I, I work with Zach for the recordings and stuff like that. I work with Sam for the live. And then, you know, I have, m- I had a friend, another friend playing cello and stuff like that. But I don't, I feel like for me, the music aspect I really like, um, I don't know, for for the album, I really had to figure out what my voice was. Hmm. Um, and then visually I, I collaborate with, with the visual artists and I, I love that because I'm not a visual artist. So I, yeah, But definitely the people who I work with, yeah, they have an, they have a, an aesthetic, you know, they have, um, they do amazing work. So I, I think we just like, then we, we just come together and see what can happen, you know?
2: Yeah. Is there a visual component to your live show per se? And I don't mean, uh, well, sure. What in every, in every, in any regard, whether it's, uh, the way you and your uh, fellow musicians are, uh, attired or is there, is there that, uh kind of a approach to your live show is like this has got to be visually stimulating as well as uh, sonically
3: i mean there's no like costume or anything (laughs) um but i mean i I, it's not that i wouldn't want to but it gets really (laughs) complex um to do that um i we did we did do like we I, i do it for like videos video shoot like live performances i just filmed one with like it's like different costume for each song and like um for the live show itself I have uh I worked with Miriam who did uh, a lot of the visuals that you you might see on YouTube mm-hmm. and and so those visuals might uh be, well she she put she did them live for the album launch in Montreal mm-hmm. and I might start integrating them into the live show when I can when there's a you know a, pr- a proper projection setup and stuff like that. Yeah. Um so that that will be a there there will be hopefully be a visual aspect to the show for tours. Nice. But yeah, nothing like elaborate, like costume and, you know.
2: <laughs> no, fair enough. I just wondered. I mean, Unfortunately. there's a lot of mood setting in your music and sometimes that can lead people to, uh, you know, bolster the mood with uh, who knows what, projection, the lighting. It
3: would be amazing. I, w- I would love it. Like if I had the budget, it's more like, it's more a budget thing for me. Like right. I, I love like Bjork's live shows or like yeah. s- the works of art, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, like,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, the whole thing's like a aesthetic uh, uh Expression, uh, for, all the sen- yeah, yeah. for all the senses, if you will. So I appreciate that. Ah, she's, uh, she's Me too, me too. I love it. So what is next for you? Are you, you mentioned that you were mixing and finalizing this record during the pandemic. Uh, and I think you said you were mixing it uh, in March of 2020. So it's been some time. Have you been uh, accumulating and writing new material?
3: I have not written one note of music since then. <laughs> Oh. Um I don't I haven't yeah, I haven't written anything. I haven't done any music and um and so I'm gonna start again I think in September. I'm gonna take August off and then Oh okay. Yeah. Is that I just uh
2: Is that because of the stress of living through a pandemic or and lack of inspiration because of it or anything else?
3: No, I think I would just wanted to do other things. I did oh. like a lot of video work. I did like a bunch of other stuff and um like after the album was done, like I don't have any music left over. It was mm. all used for the album. And so that's kind of in a way I had to take a break, I think.
2: Yeah. No, it's fair. I think and- we all should have taken longer breaks than some of us did <laughs> during this yeah. very strange time. Uh but you do have some tour dates coming up. Yes?
3: I do have tour dates. Yeah we're gonna yeah we're supposed to go to i'm going actually to play in berlin for next month i have oh. two dates in berlin and then uh europe in the fall
2: oh wow nice yeah. that's great and are you you're doing yeah. some ontario shows
3: yeah i'm doing a I'm, I'm going to guelph actually
2: ah my old stomping grounds of guelph <laughs> yeah. i miss them so much sometimes you know uh are yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to the guelph jazz festival as i recall
3: that's that's it the guelph jazz and then we're playing a show in uh northern quebec oh and um where else i think that's i think that's it in september
2: i hope you can uh figure out a way to be in guelph for as much of the jazz festival as possible i think you'll find uh based on what i've seen the programming looks very great and uh it's always uh it really is one of the greatest festivals in the world um I don't know, I, have you have you heard tell of it? Have you, I assume you haven't been before, yeah. or have you?
3: I don't think I have been before, but I, I, I do really like the programming, and we, yeah, the plan is to to stay there for every day. Basically show up on the 15th and leave on the 18th. Yeah. Um, I'm also playing in, in Land of Kush. Oh, great. Uh, which is... Uh, Sam Shalabi's band. Big, exactly, so yeah. we're playing the Guelph Jazz too. Oh, that's great. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of friends and lots of great music, I think.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm very uh, happy for you and I'm happy for Guelph and I'm jealous of Guelph that they get to see you. Cause I (laughs) uh, have you ever come out to, do you think you'll ever come out to Alberta?
3: Um, yeah. I mean, I did, did didn't I think I played in Calgary?
2: Oh, oh, for like Sled Island or something or
3: I did do Sled Island and I did another show with, um, I think it was organized by Chris Dash. Oh,
2: yeah. Bug Incision. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Big great. Bug Incision. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
3: I think it must have been 2017 or something. Oh, sweet. Okay. 2018. Yeah, 2019. Yeah. I, I wasn't
2: sure. here then and I'm in Edmonton, but I will. I, I hope uh, I can see you at some point. I also hope I feel compelled yeah. to go to shows uh, by that point too because yeah. I've been a little uh, skittish. But in any case, uh, no, that's lovely. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about your work, Vicky. Um, I assume cstrecords.com, the Constellation Records site, is one place. Uh, is there anywhere else you'd like to direct people?
3: Um, I guess I, I have a website and I have, the, well, the Bandcamp too. Just, and, and the YouTube, like, you know, there's a the, all the videos and stuff like that, all under the, the same Kievel name, so it's pretty, pretty easy.
2: I, I don't normally That's like asking people about their band names. I think it's personal and I think often the stories aren't uh, you know, they're just like I don't know. I named it this. Leave me alone. But that's an interesting. What is the origin of your? May I ask? And I apologize. I've tried to say that to apologize in advance. What is the origin of this name? What does it mean?
3: I feel like you're not gonna like the answer.
2: Uh oh. Is it about? <laughs> is it about me? Does this have something to do with me? <laughs> no. Did I do something wrong? No. <laughs> no, because it's, it, it, it's, I guess like key is like Vicky, the
3: ending of, of the name, but it's um the other evil is, uh, it's kind of what you just said. It's, it's, I was brainstorming, like trying to find something that sounds good and doesn't really mean anything. Hmm. um, And that's kind of the one that stuck.
2: It's not a proper, that, it's not a proper word. I don't think so. Okay, you made it up. It
3: might be. It might be in another language. I, I mean, I, I couldn't find much. There's like Avila, which is like a very well-known name. And mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Avil. I, I don't know. I couldn't really find anything on it.
2: Well, so, let, let me say this. I applaud this. I think more artists should Google their thought. The, the band name they had in mind, they should Google it. Because everyone picks like weird, like, but we're going to call our band uh, uh, Elevator. And you're like, no, no one's going to find that. That's not a, just pick, make it up. Make up words. Like, stand out. I feel like you did that, if I may. That's good. So I just want to say, Thank I, you. I actually, I will 180 what you said. I liked your answer so much. I liked it more than any other answer I've gotten because you made up a thing okay, good. and it works because it sounds like <laughs> yeah, it does work i will say for some of us uh, knowing where you're from we're like oh it must be french oh it was that italian you know you just assume it's another language so the fact that you made up a word i think is bold and wise if that if that mm. means anything to you so well done in that regard um okay so we've established we oh sorry are you on like social did you say this already are you on social media and stuff oh you mentioned youtube and your website are you on instagram and those things Yes okay of course okay well well everyone can find it there and I'll try to direct people there
3: I'm on instagram too much
2: Are you on there too much oh, okay i didn't know that i'll Probably I should i'm sorry i'll take a look at your instagram i can't <laughs> I try to go on there and then I don't post that much Okay all right i'll take a look i'm sorry Um okay if there's a song we can go out on from Crease. I wonder if you might pick one for us and also tell us why you chose it
3: Um, I think I would pick Devil's Sweet Tooth hmm. because I just I just I just love that song <laughs> and you'll hear you'll hear the cello I was talking about like Mark uh, my friend Mark Molnar plays cello so this is the, the collaborative song of the album and it's also it's you know It's a a, a weird one. I had
2: a lot of references to Satan and Lucifer and the devil on the show lately. Uh, I don't know why exactly. Maybe it's Mm. just a strangely evil time. I don't know. What does that title connote for you? It's a good one. I like it. But what does Devil's Sweet Tooth mean to you?
3: I think it's kind of funny. I don't know. I think (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of funny. A funny idea, and uh, it's kind of it's a phrase from the song that I thought was yeah was a good title for it. So
2: it suggests the devil has a weakness. uh, Is is a sweet
3: tooth a weakness?
2: It can be. Yeah, absolutely. I have a sweet tooth. It's It's not good. Probably not good. (laughs) Everyone's got to cut. You know what I'll say to everyone else? Enjoy this song. Cut back on the sugar. (laughs) There's too much sugar in everything, and we're eating And It's a killer. It's horrible. You don't even think about it. Anyway, that was my rant. Uh, This is a. uh, a lovely song from the new album, Kreese, uh by Kia Veal. This is Devil's Sweet Tooth. Vicky, I hope you enjoyed your time on the show. This was a pleasure for me, uh, and I hope we speak again, and I wish you the best of luck in the future.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It was really fun, and uh, we'll, I'll see you soon, for sure, at some point.
2: <laughs> some, sometime,
3: someplace, somewhere.
2: I know what you're saying. I live in Alberta. It's unlikely, but still, we'll, I hope I'll see you soon. Thank you.
3: Yes, have a good day. Thank you.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Thank you so much once again to Vicky, a.k.a. Kia Veal, for appearing on this, the 712th episode of Creative Control which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've, uh, you've heard about, people have told you about it, and then you subscribe to the show or you follow it and you can't find it because maybe it's too far back and something's wrong with some sort of robot algorithm thing, I don't know. Anyway, if you can't find an episode you've heard about or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter... Please visit vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on the Facebook and also follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. Now, again, you can you can pledge any amount you want and you can change it at any point in your life. You can pledge for a year. You can pledge for the month, you know. I mean, I forget how it works, but I think, yeah, if you pledge for a year, say you pledge a uh, 100 bucks, and that that's going to cover you for the year. Well, uh, they'll take it out of your thing there, your money place, and then uh, I'll get it, and that's good. But if you want to change that at some point or delete that, uh, then you can. And if you do it by the month, if you go, I want to donate $6, Uh, And then that's good. But then you want to change it to $4. Anytime you want, you can do these things. It's not uh, etched in stone. However, $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, including a bonus time sometimes with my guests, uh, old interviews from uh, my archive uh, of things I've done uh, beyond this podcast. And some of those can be very interesting, I think. Uh, What else happens? Oh, you get the show early. You get the show uh, ideally About a day earlier than everybody else, but it depends on my production schedule, I'll admit that. But still, you get it early. And that's it. If you want a Creative Control t-shirt, you can message me on there and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash Control for you to support this show. And thank you in advance for even thinking about this. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. As always, thanks to my dear friend Jim Guthrie, who lends me music for this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Kia Veal and checking out her music via Constellation Records and wherever else she uh, has or will put out music. Thanks for subscribing to Creative Control and following it and telling your friends all about this podcast. That's how the word is spread and the show is supported. So thank you for all of those things. I hope you're well and you're staying well. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.